0: welcome to this month's meetup of CRE 101. Uh, excited to have our special guest today, Tower Cheshire. He's one of the top commercial brokers in town and he's doing a lot of cool things in the syndication space. And so I thought it'd be cool to have him come by and talk a little bit about the syndication process because it's one of those things that um, you could either go into it and, and do it yourself or it could be a good opportunity for you to achieve good returns just by joining in uh, the fund itself. So. I'm excited to have him and Tyler, welcome.
1: My pleasure. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always good to be with you. It's almost better when we're in person, but maybe it's better this way. Who knows? We got uh, the opportunity to share with many on Facebook as well. And uh, I think I think if you utilize technology for what it all gives us, I think there's many, many great things. So no, it's a pleasure to be here and I appreciate you having me.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah. And, and one of the cool things about this this technology is that, I mean, a lot of it can be recorded. So this will be uh, yeah. something that people can consume in perpetuity, and I think it's going to be really cool to be able to hear what you have to say uh, about the syndication process. So generally speaking, when we start these, these discussions, it, we just like to learn a little bit of more about the people that, that are invited. So I thought we'd kind of start off by asking you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're, what you're up to right now and everything else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, appreciate it again. Thanks for having me. And it's funny because I always ask this question on my podcast, tell me a little bit more about yourself behind the bio. Cause we all talk about bios, especially in real estate. We're all like, you know, I do this and I do that and I've done this and here's what I'm doing now. And so You know, I think it's important for us to get to know each other as people, right? More than just business owners or entrepreneurs or investors. And so, you know, obviously I do a lot in real estate from an investment perspective. um, I kind of came up through the business as a broker, and actually, um, really kind of built my experience through that piece, and and had a lot of experience on you know the multifamily brokerage side, as well as uh, retail and 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 office and land. And so, you know, I've had a breadth of experience through commercial real estate from that perspective. And as I kind of grew as a you know real estate practitioner, I decided that hey, you know, if I'm going to do this, I need to be an expert. I need to be excellent at what I'm doing. So I went out and got my CCIM designation and really fully started to understand, you know, all the ins and outs of the business and, you know, how to really succeed and how to really understand an opportunity and how to maximize that opportunity. So from a professional standpoint, that's a bit of a background uh, on me. And before real estate, I was actually in corporate marketing. And the reason why I got into real estate was because I started to learn that I was actually just tolerating my life. And I was like plugging in, you know, every single day and I loved the concept of marketing and communicating to, you know, the psychology of human beings and and consumer behavior and sort of addressing, you know, sort of and and an understanding and putting opportunities in front of people that, you know, they would take, take you know, they would capitalize on and our business would succeed through. But I learned that, you know, the politics of that environment wasn't something that would was going to serve sort of my long-term interest. So, so I got into real estate you know, started as a, as an agent and kind of built my business and and then built a brokerage and, you know, along the way, uh, invested in multifamily real estate as well. Uh, because that's what I believed in most. That's what I had most experience in. And, and I look back and I have gratitude for that just because it was almost like luck to get me into this side of the business. You know, I, I started investing and it's so funny because when I started investing, I, I learned like, wow, this is a lot harder than it is to sell the properties. Um, you know, cause when when the closing table is done, as a as an agent or a broker, you walk away and you wish everybody the best of luck and you cash your check or whatever. And uh, it's not the case as an investor. And so, I've been investing for the past you know five years or so um, actively and building up a portfolio as well as passively and in investing with other syndicators uh, as well across the country. And you know we actually launched a syndication company this year, CF Capital, Um, we actually launched in January of this year. So I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that today, but that's me from a professional standpoint. Uh, From a personal standpoint, I host a podcast called Elevate, uh, which is a top 200 business podcast globally. It's been amazing, it's been absolutely, it's blown my mind to be honest with you. I mean, we just had Seth Godin on, Uh, we have john azaraf from the secret who's coming on literally next week we have dave asprey from bulletproof you guys know dave asprey so we talk a lot about like biohacking we talk a lot about you know maximizing your human potential and showing up and being a high performer and you know it is a lot about real estate it is we do talk about real estate and strategy and tactics uh, but we also talk about investing in yourself because what i learned you know, kind of building my portfolio is that, you know, it's stressful, it's difficult, it's challenging, and it really requires you to show up and be the highest version of yourself to succeed, especially with the amount of competition that we see out there. And so, you know, that's uh, a bit of what I've become extremely passionate about is personal growth and investing in yourself and, and showing up for high performance. And through that process, I've invested in coaching for years and years myself. And my coach actually told me, hey, look, you should be a coach. And I'm like, come on, man, I don't have time for that. That's crazy, this is ridiculous. And so I ended up taking him up on that. And I am a high performance coach for real estate investors as well. And so, you know, I actually get a ton of, you know, value and fulfillment through that process and and helping people really raise the bar and go from good to great, from great to excellent, from excellent to extraordinary, extraordinary to outstanding and really being world-class. And so I work with folks who wanna be the best of the best really raise the bar within their business, whether it's from a strategic standpoint, you know, a strategy, you know, a systems creation standpoint, a time management standpoint, and also from a consulting standpoint, because my experience in the business can help me overlay sort of my expertise. So anyway, I apologize for the very, very long winded response there, but that's a little bit about me as a person. Otherwise I enjoy traveling. I love eating great food. I love spending time with great conversations and, you know, building new relationships with other people. So that's a little bit about me.
0: That's great. No, and I I kind of, I kind of aligned with your story a lot too. I mean, I I came from a different career as well. Recently, I joined the commercial real estate brokerage world about a year ago. I was in software consulting before. And I mean, we have a lot of similarities with related to personal development. So I'm just really glad that you're able to come in and and share some of your insights, because I know we're going to really gain some value from it. So as everyone knows, I mean this this meeting was related to commercial syndication. Uh, so I thought if you could provide us with a quick overview of what com- a commercial syndication is and yeah, just kind of elaborate a little bit on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean the way that I look at it as, you know, commercial syndication is really just a partnership between a group of investors, you know, where they combine their skills, their resources and, you know, ultimately their capital to purchase assets that are larger than they could purchase on their own. And, you know, syndication is different than, you know, really a small kind of partnership, you know, one or two or three people, you know, where everybody's actively adding value to a deal. What I see is syndication is a bit different in that you've got an operator or perhaps a sponsor who brings the opportunity and runs the deal, who then brings in private capital that invests passively uh, with them. And, you know, they're not actively a part of the deal. They're not making decisions, but they are participating. In the ongoing cash flow, and the tax benefits, and the upside of the a- the asset, and so syndication is you know it's a it's a private security, and it's a way for you know an investor to participate outside of Wall Street or, or other types of uh, securities and being involved directly in the ownership of real estate from that capacity.
0: It's awesome, and, and like like you said, I think it gives them an opportunity to participate in deals that they couldn't otherwise participate in as a result of the scale that you're you're dealing with. So yeah. That's really-
1: well, and I'll say something on that too. I mean, like, you know, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure in a, in a bit, but we, we focus on multifamily. And the reason why we decided to take this next step into syndication and and pooling, you know, private capital for larger deals is because we found that the name of the game is scale. And I'm glad that I learned the hard way on smaller deals because I made a ton of mistakes. And I made, I feel like every mistake in the book. And I think, You know, some of the more experienced folks listening would probably roll their eyes when they hear that because they're, you know, there's always a new mistake that we can learn from. And I think having the growth mindset and recognizing that mistakes gets you closer to, you know, being, you know, having more tools in your tool belt and and more success in your future. But, you know, with syndication, uh, it allows you to scale and achieve those economies of scale and put a great team on the field. And it also allows more people to benefit from those opportunities. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to make a mention of that.
0: Definitely, no, I think that that's definitely some value for the, for the group. Um, so that kind of leads us into our next question, which is related to uh, what property type do you specialize in and why? You didn't mention multifamily, but why not office? Why not uh, industrial? Why not any other type of property, a commercial property? Yeah.
1: So personally, so myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty, we both have a substantial amount of experience in multifamily. We've brokered over a billion dollars in, in multifamily transactions over the past seven years and obviously have built up an experience level from an investment perspective as well. And so from the experience and the expertise perspective, it's a perfect fit. And also, thankfully, um, you know, the, the marketplace also makes sense from an investment perspective and from a thesis standpoint, you know, multifamily is generally a lower risk type of asset uh, than some of the other commercial real estate asset types. And so we like that, obviously you look out in the landscape and you see, you know, a pretty high risk global environment, especially considering the current circumstances, whether it's through equities, you know, currency, uh, you name it. I mean, across the, across the board and, and certainly in commercial real estate, I mean, with, we all believe in commercial real estate and I certainly, you know, we, before the call we were talking or before we went live here, we were talking about, you know, it's all a matter of how do you structure your deal. So you can make any deal make sense, but from an occupancy standpoint, one of the things we talked about like through CCIM that I really was hammered in my my mind was that you've got to have a clear perspective of what does your occupant need and what are the future needs of your occupant and why would they choose to, you know, do business with you? And when we say do business with us in multifamily real estate, it's live in our apartments. And, you know, is there going to be a future demand for the apartments that we provide and so we think about that in comparison to you know retail or office you know you look at retail right now there's a lot of challenges especially during the covid environment you know with social distancing and obviously e-commerce has been tremendous in the growth uh, of really kind of i mean you look at amazon it's it's breaking records and obviously, from a technological standpoint, Apple, you know, just hit a $2 trillion market cap, which is the highest ever. And I know that doesn't directly correlate to real estate. But I think having a full perspective of all of these different, you know, financial vehicles out there is super important. And so, from you know from our perspective not only are we experts in the space but we believe in it long term we believe that you know renters you know are going to be in demand uh for for the foreseeable future whether it's by necessity or by choice you know a lot of folks you know in the past 10 years you know either baby boomers and or millennials have both been renters by choice and not just necessity and, and you know over many years prior to that it was all about renters by necessity and what the difference is is that you know you don't have enough cash to purchase a home and so then you're a renter by necessity and so that's kind of how that works in terms of your personal budget and so we look at that we look at that from a from a very high level in addition to you know, folks who are choosing to rent, because you look at 10 years ago, a lot of folks had some major challenges with, you know, their personal financial situation due to their primary residence losing a tremendous amount of value. And so I think there's, there's been a little bit of heartburn there. There's also you know, lifestyle benefits of renting versus owning. And obviously I'm an owner. I've been an owner for, for many years myself, but I see this and I understand this. And I also look at, you know, cost of living in different markets and, and those considerations. So there's a lot of different factors, but we believe in the long-term success and long-term occupancy of multifamily. Um, so that's that's another piece there. But, you know, with the whole world being a, a fairly high risk sort of financial landscape you know we see apartments as as so much lower risk due to all those factors and we can also generate great yields and while yields have been compressed we can find amazing you know financing opportunities whether that's to fanny or freddie you know we're actually looking at sub three percent um you know interest rates on some of these deals and it's amazing and obviously you know even with that said i mean you, you are looking at a bit of compressed yields compressed return on investment through this environment because of the fact that these other asset classes are deemed to be a bit higher risk and you're seeing money go out of retail and office into multifamily and industrial as well industrial is absolutely doing super well it's just not our expertise i mean maybe at some point we will expand to that but i think we have to be thoughtful and put one foot in front of the next it's let's let's build this out before we try to be all things to all people so um, that's kind of our perspective on multifamily, but we're, we're excited about the prospects, you know, here for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, that's, that's another thing about multifamily too, is, is like you said, the scale, so even a slight increase in, in the, the rents that you achieve from each individual unit can provide substantial uh, return on investment from an appreciation standpoint. So I think multifamily is a great opportunity actually on a small, uh, a small multifamily I have a fourplex. Uh, right now, but it's definitely uh, one of those asset types that are going to be performing well long-term, so uh, that's awesome. So as far as uh, the different syndication types, I've done a little bit of research myself. Like I said, I read Joe Fairless's book, which is actually a phenomenal book if you get a chance. Uh, It's the best ever apartment syndication book, Uh, but in it, I know there's two different types of syndications, uh, 506B and 506C. I was wondering if you could kind of explain the differences between the two uh, for the audience just so you can kind of clarify.
1: Yeah, and uh, definitely recommend that book. Um, it may be $50 or something like that, but it's worth it. It's a thick one and it's, a, it's definitely a great read. So whether you're gonna do syndication or not, it's a great read for anybody who's active in the real estate space. So highly recommend that book. Um, so thanks for plugging that. But yeah, as far as 506B and 506C, so I, I got a few notes in front of me just to make sure that I'm referencing this exactly correctly. But you know, this is, um, you know it's rule 506 of regulation D set out by the Securities and Exchange Commission. So instead of going out and, and you know raising a, a public offering like an IPO, this is an exemption from doing that. And so basically what it says is this allows you to raise an unlimited amount of money and sell securities to an unlimited amount of accredited investors. And accredited investor is defined as someone who's earned $200,000 over the past two years and expects to earn the same or more in the current calendar year or they have a million dollars net worth not including their primary residence and so 506b and c are a bit different because they're two different exemptions and 506b must satisfy the following requirements so you cannot use general solicitation or advertising to market the security so basically what that means is if we're gonna raise a a fund or or you know a syndication on one particular asset in a 506b you know participation we cannot go out there and post it on facebook or we can't you know talk about it on elevate podcast or we can't talk about it on this live call we can't say hey guys we have this deal so go to you know cfcapllc.com and go ahead and you know invest now we can't do that through a 506b you can do that through a 506c and i'll get to the to the difference in you know sort of the caveat there uh, here in a minute but you, you have an unlimited security sales to accredited investors and up to 35 other purchasers. Um, so you can, in a 506B, you can have as many accredited investors participate as you want, but you can have up to 35 other, they have to be sophisticated. And so, you know, you don't necessarily have to have the accreditation status, but you have to basically prove to the SEC that you have a general working knowledge of the risk profile of this opportunity. You know, if you're somebody who's, never done any sort of real estate investing or you don't know anything about the space and you're not accredited there's probably you know a reason for you to not invest in the deals and and really the the securities and exchange commission is just trying to protect people they're just trying to protect people and you have to realize that you know these deals while we believe are very low risk you know there's certainly a level of risk involved and there's a level of risk in investing in anything but you know, worst case scenario, of course you can lose, you can lose your investment in the deal. And so I think the SEC is just trying to protect uh, people from that standpoint. So, um, and again, on sophisticated, it's, it's just having a sufficient knowledge and experience in financial and business matters to make them capable of evaluating the merits and risks of the prospective investment. So just wanted to stack on that. Um, you can also, as far as the, the regulations, They're trying to protect folks against fraud. Uh, So no misleading or false statements are permitted. Uh, It's an anti-fraud protection there. So you've got to disclose everything. Um, You know, you really kind of register through your, you know, through all the documentation. And we work with a company in California called Crowdfunding Lawyers LLP. And it's funny, I was talking to a, a strategic partner recently about this. And they're like, wait a minute, crowdfunding? Like, are you telling me you guys are just like, you're going out there and raising five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks from individuals, and the answer to that is no. Um, crowdfunding is more of a legal kind of definition of syndication. So it's, it's another way to say syndication. If you wanted to go to the crowdfunding route, there is a Regulation A, and I won't go into too de- too much detail on that. But you know, it's up to twenty million as tier one, up to fifty million as tier two, and you can raise funds from non-accredited investors in that. Uh, but there's a ton more. Um, you know, paperwork and, and cost involved in terms of setting that up. Um, so that's not something that we do. I know one example is uh, Grant Cardone recently did a Regulation A. I think he did a $50 million fund uh, there. So, you know, folks were investing a thousand bucks, you know, 2000 bucks or whatever. And um, from what I understand, it was quite uh, onerous. And uh, so anyway, I won't go into too much detail there, but Rule 506C as a difference of Rule 506B is a little bit different because it's all accredited investors only there's it's a limitation there um, that you've got to meet those requirements you can market this one so you can put it on facebook you can put it on social media you can put it on any websites uh podcasts whatever you can talk about your deal and bring folks in you don't have to have the substantial relationship with these folks but they do need to prove that they are accredited so The company must take responsible or reasonable steps to verify that the the investors are accredited. So, there will be forms and everything that everybody has to fill out just to verify their income. And, you know, CPAs have to sign off on stuff. So, um, that's the difference. But generally, you'll find that, you know, syndications will have a minimum investment uh, on their deals. So, you'll just have to take a look at that. What does that look like? But um, anything else I can go into detail on, on that, if there's anything else you want to follow up on. No, I mean, I think you did a great
0: job kind of elaborating on everything. And and, and like I said, at the end, we'll, we'll loop back around too. We'll, we'll have some question times for questions. So if people are uh, in, intuitive, want to learn more about each individual strategy. We can definitely elaborate a little bit more on that. But as far as like the typical syndication deal, how do you usually structure the deal? Um, I know there's different ways to structure it, and I thought you kind of elaborate a little bit on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So for us, each deal is unique, and we are not raising a fund, as one example. So you know, if you were to raise a fund, you're you're going to set your parameters upfront for each and every deal that you do. You know, you go into the fund, and you're a part of all of these different deals. Uh, we raise per deal. And so each deal requires its own business model, its own deal structure for what's appropriate. And at the end of the day, what we're all about is long-term relationships, not only with our investors, our partners, you know, the people that we collaborate with on the deals itself, but that's sort of a philosophical approach. So we're always looking to under promise and over deliver to, especially our, you know, passive investors. And so our deal structure, you know, obviously you've got the general partnership, which is, So I'll just give you the example of our company, CF Capital is the, you know, the managing entity is the general partner of our deals. And so we run the deals, we, you know, we implement the business plan. We, you know, basically quarterback the team and, you know, coalesce the resources to make this happen. And so we're the general partnership, you know, typically we'll receive a percentage, uh, you know, of the deal for that effort in addition to, you know typically there are going to be fees involved in terms of acquisition fees uh, asset management fees and so on and so forth uh, we we always strive to make sure that we're not overburdening any type of deal with too many fees and at the same time we we need to be compensated for the efforts and the opportunities that we provide so it's important for everybody to know that and we disclose all that information before anybody makes a, a choice to invest in our deals and, and that's that's pretty typical across the industry so I'll, I'll start there, but our general partnership at times may include other strategic partners. If we're doing larger deals, we'll probably, you know, we'll co-sponsor deals with other syndicators that we have relationships with where it makes sense. Maybe if it's a market that they're boots on the ground in, or perhaps if it's a deal size that we'd like to sort of bring in some other firepower, we do that. And so obviously at that point, you know, Everybody wins because, you know, you bring in more talent to the deal and, and it's it's a benefit for everybody. But uh, so there's there's that. And then from the limited partner standpoint, you know, there there is a few different ways that we structure this. So you can invest in a deal where you receive a preferred return, call it seven or eight percent, and you basically get paid. You know, a percentage of your investment on a monthly basis uh, for for your cash flow. In addition to that, above the preferred return, typically there's going to be a waterfall structure. You know, once you hit a certain IRR percentage, the deal will then be shifted in terms of the the split and the breakdown. Um, you know, in general, you see across the industry, you know, 60, 40, 70, 30, 50, 50 split above that preferred return. And perhaps there's different waterfalls that you can structure. You can get really complicated on the deal structure at times. Um, There's other deals where it makes sense for us to really structure it super simply to say, all right, we're gonna invest, you know, and and here's the other thing, we always invest our own capital in the deals as well, because we wanna be aligned with our investors, not only just, you know, participating from the general partnership side, but also showing our investors that we believe in the deal and we'll put our money where our mouth is. And so. Um, I think that's really important to note. We do structure our deals very simply at times as well, where we say, "Look, guys, we're going to go and buy this 200-unit apartment complex, and you know, it's going to be 15% to the general partnership, and it's going to be 85% to the limited partners, and we split, you know, cash flow and 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 upside and everything like that equally." And so. Um, so yeah, it just depends on the deal, but we always, you know, we focus on cash on cash is, you know, that's the most important metric to us. A lot of times when we look at a deal and we say, all right, you know, the internal rate of return we believe is 16% and wow, that looks great. But guess what? We have a ton of assumptions there. We don't know what the future cap rate's going to be. We don't know truly what the marketplace is going to look like in five or seven years, And so, you know, it's really important for us to look at cash on cash and what are things that we can control and how can we deliver, you know, ongoing results for our investors and for our partners uh, that make sense. But that's kind of in general, the different opportunities that we have to structure our deals, but happy to go into depth on any of those if there's anything that I wasn't clear on.
0: No, I mean, like I said, I think you're providing great value as far as like elaborating on these different concepts. And so I would definitely appreciate that. Um, so you, we kind of understand now how you can structure a deal. Obviously, it can vary depending on the deal, it can, depending on the size or whatever else. Could you yep. kind of elaborate a little bit on your current business strategy and explain wh- why you chose that strategy in the first place?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for that. I'm enjoying this, by the way. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm not like glossing over anybody, but uh, looking forward to the Q&A as well, because if there's anything I can follow up on happy to do that sometimes my mind moves faster than my mouth um so anyway or perhaps the other way around but anyway uh as far as our strategy um so obviously we're located here in louisville um and we we have a geographic footprint that makes a lot of sense um if you look at sort of what's happening nationally what's happening globally you know there's there's boom and bust markets you know on the coast and in our top 10 kind of tier one major cities and obviously there's a time and a place for that. And, and you look at many of the institutions and they have a ton of success in doing business in New York and Miami and LA and San Francisco. You know, not only are we not experts in those markets, but we feel that it's a generally a higher risk type of profile and also much lower yield. And there's a bit more speculation. And, you know, the way to make those deals work is you've got to be expecting a huge pop on the back end because your cash flow is going to be tiny. And so the thing that we love about being sort of where we are in Louisville is that we generally have a better cash flow profile in this type of this region. And also, you know, I was just talking to you about big shifts ahead. I mean, we had the guy on, on the podcast yesterday, uh, big shifts ahead. And you look at, um, you know, it's a great book, by the way, anybody who wants to learn more about migration demographics and, you know, consumer behavior and making decisions, uh, you know, in getting ahead of that, you need to read that book. I highly recommend it, but, you know, we look at migration and a lot of the migration is happening to the Southeast right now. A lot of people are moving from the Northeast or out West or really expensive markets to places in the Southeast due to, you know, whether it's the government structure of, you know, tax on your, your income tax or, you know, job opportunities. A lot of companies are moving to the Southeast. And so our strategy is to acquire 100 to 300 unit B and C class multifamily communities across the Southeast. In addition to, I don't know if you consider Kentucky Southeast or not. I think in some ways you would, in other ways perhaps you wouldn't, but of course, you know, we're experts here in Kentucky, uh, also Indiana, Ohio, um, Tennessee, and North Carolina. And we plan to, as we, you know, our goal is really to, you know, quote unquote dominate those markets And as we grow to continue to expand South and we've got, we've already got our eyes on Alabama, you know, Huntsville, Alabama is a great market. Um, Birmingham is very similar to Louisville in many ways. So we understand, you know, what that's all about and, you know, even further to South Carolina and even we've even kind of taken a look at some opportunities in North Georgia. And so we look at all of those, those things and, you know, we focus on secondary and some tertiary markets, depending on where we believe the growth is going you know we look at like our our sort of geographic footprint you look at louisville you look at you know nashville um chattanooga talk knoxville even into north carolina you got charlotte raleigh durham um, greensboro you know just to give you some examples of some specific markets in addition to cincinnati columbus ohio indianapolis indiana you have a different profile of risk you have a different profile of upside and Opportunities throughout those those markets, and so we like how that kind of balances out and gives folks the opportunity to participate in you know some different type of markets, some different type of assets. So um, that's really our strategy. Um, we do not really invest in core assets uh, right now, and what I mean by core is you know new construction, Class A deals, um, you know, in those markets, just because, you know, there's no way for us to add value to those deals. Um, Our strategy is to always to go in to add value, whether it's physically or operationally. Um, Right now in the market cycle, we feel that it's, you know, generally not in our interest to do a super heavy lift. And what I mean by that is, you know, distressed assets are generally off our radar, uh, unless it makes sense. I mean, we are certainly opportunistic and we will consider them where they make sense and we've got to make sense of it from an underwriting perspective as well as protect our downside on the risk. Um, you know, but we're, we're looking to come in and you know, add value to interiors of units. You know, everything outside of the drywall is kind of what Brian always says is, is what we're trying to do because that's generally lower risk. We can, we can really kind of control the controllables there and understand sort of what the marketplace is in demand for and what can we do to raise the income of our units And um, so, yeah, we try to do that and, you know, operationally as well. I mean, if there's anything that we can do, we work with the best of the best on property management. So anytime we're looking at an opportunity, we are absolutely, you know, going into detail with them and understanding sort of, you know, here's the historical sort of operations of this asset. What can we do here? What, you know, is there anything that we can, you know, add value from the top line to the, you know, to the bottom line, all these different things. So uh, in general, that is our strategy and uh, we're sticking to it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the big shifts ahead. I know we were talking about that off uh, before we got on live and it did provide some great information as far as demographic changes in particular with the millennial generation kind of coming of age and eventually looking to either buy a home or like you said, continue to rent. So uh, definitely check that out if you get a chance. Um, so now that we understand kind of your strategy uh, about how you enter into different markets, once you identify an asset, how do you go about buying buying it so like how do you raise money to fund some of these deals because that's probably something a lot of people are thinking about
1: yeah absolutely so you know we get we'll get a deal under contract um and you know before that way before that it's it's all about building long-term relationships i think i said that earlier and of course at this stage in the market cycle i'll just re-highlight the fact that we're not raising a fund right now and so obviously there's a there's a different approach. In terms of raising, you know, for a 506b or C deal, than you know raising a fund ahead of time and having that capital to deploy. So obviously, you know, we we it's a continual process of of building those relationships, of you know planning and watering those seeds, and so you know, for us, it's our strategy is just to build long-term relationships with accredited investors, whether they're busy professionals, whether they're entrepreneurs, business owners, you know, diversity seeking real estate professionals. And so, you know, I've spent the past seven years really developing a deep and expansive network, not only in this, you know, region and this market, but across the country and even internationally. And so we've got, you know, a pretty substantial database of folks that we collaborate with and that, you know, are always looking for a new opportunity to participate with us. Um, beyond that, we do work with private, other private equity firms as well and strategically partner with them where it makes sense. And we've got relationships in every major city in this country that have a different sort of criteria or a different risk profile that they are willing to accept. And so for each deal, we've got, you know, relationships that make sense to have discussions with, uh, to see if there's an opportunity for us to partner with. So private equity firms, uh, other funds, there are multifamily specific funds that do partner with folks like us as well. And so they allocate resources towards our opportunities where appropriate. Um, Other thing is, you know, one of the things that um, the SEC has been very focused on is kind of cracking down on capital raisers. So you hear that a lot, people talking about, hey, I raise capital for deals and I get paid a fee or whatever. And the, the end story and the end result of all that is that you've got to be a registered investment advisor or a broker dealer to really do that. Um, we do work with registered investment advisors as well as broker dealers on our deals where appropriate, but uh, we don't work with others who are just looking to raise capital for our deals because that's frowned upon uh, from the SEC's perspective and, and uh, they've been absolutely placing focus on that. So beyond that, we do, uh, we're continuing to really prospect for uh, family offices as well you know, other very ultra high net worth families across the country that are looking to protect and grow their wealth, um, you know, really can do that through these opportunities. So we can, we're always looking to grow our database. So if there's anybody who's listening to this, that's like, man, that's awesome that they have all these relationships. I wish I knew somebody like this, you know, feel free to reach out to us because we're always looking to offer more opportunities. I mean, our goal over the next five years is to acquire a billion dollars in assets and, you know, to do that, you know, we've got to roughly raise about, you know, $350 million in equity. And, um, you know, with that said, there's going to be a ton of opportunities. There's going to be a ton of amazing uh, opportunities for, you know, individuals or folks that represent larger, you know, larger organizations to participate with us. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of in general how we go about raising money but it is all about the long-term relationships it's about planting those seeds you know our our strategy from a marketing perspective for our firm it's all about education-based marketing so it's about providing value it's about giving it's about doing exactly what we're doing right now and bringing people into our world so that we have the opportunity of building relationships with them and understanding what is it that you're looking to accomplish because you know we get people that reach out to us all the time and, and a lot of times it's like oh this is awesome you know we will absolutely share opportunities with you when appropriate so let us know if you're interested in participating in our deals but there are also times where it's like hey this doesn't make sense for you Um, it's not the perfect time for you to do this and so we try to kind of invest in that sort of long-term approach and say look you know not every person that comes to us makes sense for us to partner but uh, we're, we're I, I guess, humble enough to recognize that and to say, you know what, maybe it'd be better for you to work with someone else or maybe it'd be better for you to participate in another capacity for a certain amount of time. Um, but it's also, it's networking. It's just building the old fashioned relationships that way whether it is with accredited investors or other private equity firms or, or what have you. So uh, the other piece is that, you know we look at a hundred deals before we close one. I mean, in, honestly, that number is almost going up these days um, you know so we'll look at 100 deals and we may underwrite 30 of those you know because 70 of them are we're gonna kind of push off and say look this doesn't meet our criteria so we have to say no much more than we say yes and when we underwrite 30 deals you know perhaps 10 of those really make sense for us to make a, a true run at that and you know with the competition that we experience in the landscape you know one of those ends up going to the closing table and so it's kind of a simultaneous process where we're going after the deals and we're also building and nurturing those relationships so that everybody's sort of on the same page uh, and, and ready to go when, when the time, time is right.
0: Definitely. And I think there's something really important with what you said. I mean, you've been building these relationships for seven years, you know, it's taken you that long to kind of foster those relationships. And I mean, I see you all over the place. You're always getting involved in different meetups and uh, podcasts and get your name out there and continually adding value to people and, I think at the end of the day, the more value you add to other people, the more likely they are to kind of reciprocate at some point in time, whether that's five years down the road, 10 years down the road. So.
1: Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. I think one of the biggest things like – that I learned as a broker was that the only way for me to be successful, and, and I've always had a drive to be more than just you know successful, I want to be the best of the best. And the only way for me to be able to do that, and the only way for us to be able to do that now with what we're doing with CF Capital is to you know thrive on a referral basis. So if we can deliver beyond expectations, not only are we going to get people to say, this is an amazing opportunity. Let me participate again. And please you know, keep my money and let's do this again and again and again, because everybody wins from that standpoint. But also we can grow our database rather than just spinning our wheels and going out and spending a ton of money on ads and all these things. It's all about building those relationships and doing the right thing. So thank you for saying that. I appreciate it.
0: Definitely. Of course. Um, So I guess as far as the deals are concerned because I know you mentioned you, you analyze 100 deals uh, before you invest in one I guess can you elaborate a little bit on the deals that are actually worth pursuing because I feel like that's something uh, I know Chris and I were talking recently he's looking at a deal and another, another sub market and we were kind of analyzing to kind of figure out what whether or not it's a good opportunity but if you could kind of elaborate a little bit on what you do as far as the anal- analysis is concerned.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our team, and this is a team sport, so that's, you know, I know that's kind of the the corny like phrase of the, you know, past few years, but it's true. And if you're trying to do this by yourself, you're, it's going to be very challenging. Um, for me, it's been a huge, um, a huge step in an amazing direction to not only have a great business partner that can handle so much, but also building a team together. And so, you know, as far as finding these opportunities and and understanding whether a deal makes sense, you know, from our team perspective, one thing that has been super helpful for us is bringing on acquisitions associates. And we bring on acquisitions associates with a background in analysis and underwriting and deal sourcing. And so these folks not only kind of add a layer uh, of sophistication for us, but they also Can allow us to do what we're doing right now like you and i are spending time together and we're bringing more folks into our world we're building relationships with other people we're educating we're adding value so that they can have the tools to do whatever they want to do themselves while also our team is still sourcing new opportunities and still you know, really going through a rigorous process because, you know, it's, it's certainly a a very time consuming and very, you know, and up to a large degree, very brain damaging sort of process because we've got to collect information from property owners or brokers or property managers, you know, based on the historical you know, performance of an asset. And we've got to make sense of that. We've got to understand sort of what can we actually do with this asset? What type of business plan can we implement? And so our acquisitions, we actually just brought on our second acquisitions associate and we've had one for a while. And one of ours covers has been actually covering all of our markets. Uh, we just brought on our second acquisition associates, who's going to be really kind of taking off some of the bottleneck. We, we started to have a huge pipeline that's really kind of filled up over the past month, month and a half. It was very quiet since COVID hit, and now a ton of deals have started to hit the market. So we've, we had a bottleneck. At any rate, our acquisition associates will bring a deal in we'll kind of kick it around as a team and say, look, does this make sense? Is this a part of our acquisition criteria? So I think the first step is understanding, you know, what is your acquisition criteria? You know, what type of deals are you looking to buy? And what metrics are you really non-negotiable on? Is it the deal size? Is it the sub-market? Is it, you know, the level of, you know, risk that's associated, whether it's deferred or value-add or core you know, type of asset. So I think getting really clear on that is super important. So then you understand where you're spending your time. When your pipeline gets super full, you know, you have to start saying no to things. And so from there, it's all about, you know, gathering that information, gathering, you know, offering memorandums, gathering, you know, CapEx reports, gathering, you know, T12s and maybe even further than that and you know rent rolls and understanding sort of you know what's going on with the asset what does the broker think the business plan is does that actually make sense does it not so you're kind of starting there and you're plugging this in we've got an internal model that we use uh to really you know analyze our deals and it's pretty robust I mean I don't know how many tabs is on this thing but I'm telling you I'm a CCIM and I'm telling you right now it's it uh it it gets pretty onerous and uh it's it's definitely not you know, where I spend my, my, my highest value time, but I have to be plugged in. I have to truly understand, you know, what does everybody think is, is really going on with this asset? So, you know, we're looking at, Hey, what's the income, what's the expenses. And does this match up with the sub market? Does this match up with trends and, you know, what's the best case, worst case scenario, you know, going forward over the next 12 months, you know, what are taxes like today? You know, it's crazy when we've gotten more, dug into a lot of these different markets, taxes, property taxes are handled so differently in different markets. And so we've got to have a true deep understanding of that. And so, you know, even the other day we were looking at a deal in Ohio and it's really interesting because we've got to have conversations with tax attorneys who really interface with school boards. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like you're paying, you're paying somebody to make sure that, you know, we don't get reassessed for a certain amount of time, but You have to understand that it's possible that you are going to be reassessed immediately. So, getting into the weeds—I mean, it's about getting into the weeds of all of these different metrics. Whether it's you know bad debt, whether it's vacancy, whether it's you know—I mean, you name it. Property management fee, um, and getting detailed into what does it look like today, and then when you're getting very detailed and you're really shoring up all of these different details, you look at it from a big picture and say, "All right." does this make sense from the market standpoint you know is this something that we have leverage on or is this going to be a super you know attractive opportunity for many other groups and what does that do for our leverage and how can we be strategic in terms of this potential acquisition so if it meets our first muster test and going into some detail you know our first two tests whether it's all right yes we should spend time on this yes we have spent time on this and now this is actually looking like something that's pretty interesting. Let's go travel to the deal and let's go take a look at it and let's kick the tires and, you know, really go through an entire tour and have a detailed questionnaire sort of with property management, you know, folks who really know boots on the ground. And also think about things is like, how do you feel when you're at this asset? You know, what does this deal make us feel like? Because deals on paper are a lot different than deals in the real world. So I think having a full wide ranging perspective of all of those things is super important. And from there it's it's tightening up our assumptions. If it's passed our you know our tour test and you know we've got an understanding truly of what this business model is. If we go and look at a deal and we're like, man, this is really tired, but I think we can do some things here to really kind of help this thing turn the corner. At that point, then we go back to our model and we get super detailed again and we say, All right, you know, at the end of the day, we're looking to achieve, you know, whatever percent, you know, on a cash on cash basis for our investors for our general partnership and this all makes sense so now let's make a run at this thing and there's a lot of times where it's like guys this just doesn't make sense if anybody buys this deal they're going to be overpaying and perhaps they are overpaying and maybe that works for them maybe they've got less of a yield requirement than we do but um you know that's really kind of the general process that we take in terms of understanding an opportunity and then executing on the opportunity
0: that's awesome yeah and i I don't know if it was Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett that said that they're successful because they say no to almost everything. You know, so that's yeah, really distinguishes you. I mean, you're you're you have to be able to distinguish between what's what's right and what's wrong based on what your criteria are. So that's really great that you provided that information. Um, so as far as once you purchase a property, I know you elaborated on this a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit about how you reposition it? Uh, because I mean, the reason you buy the property is because there has to be some upside involved. So I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that a little bit.
1: So the question is, how do we add value? Is that right?
0: So yeah, exactly. So how do you, when you purchase a property, what actions do you take to reposition the property in order to maximize the the yields that you achieve?
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for that. Thanks for clarifying. So, you know, in general, so I'll start here and like, this is the way my brain works. It's like, all right, what's the big picture. And then let's go into the details. Right. So for me, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious where we start from it's how do we increase income, right? How do we increase the income on the asset? Because, you know, if there's anybody who's just getting started in real estate or they're just, you know, they have interest in real estate at the end of the day, you know, we value these assets based on the net operating income. And so what can we do to increase the value of the asset, you know, from that perspective is absolutely one way that we can look at increasing value. And it's, you know, that's, as it boils down to it, that's, that's a, that's an extremely important figure from a valuation perspective. And we can talk about cap rates. We actually just wrote a blog post on cap rates and how we look at that. And so if you want to take a look at that, you can visit our website on that. But um, that's that's one particular place, but, you know, it's all about either increasing rents and or decreasing expenses, rents slash income, right? So we start there. And so, you know, we look at the income of the particular units, and we also do a rent analysis, and we do a submarket and overall market analysis of, you know, what's going on in this marketplace, you know, where's the demand and you know what are vacancy rates at? Because that's another piece of income is vacancy, right? If you've got a 10% vacancy rate, but your sub market is more like a 5% on average, obviously there's a spread there to add value, and maybe there's something going on with management or operations that's off. And it's a it's a quick way for you to really stri- strategically add some value is to be more hands on and be more direct in your asset management. So that's just one example, of course. On the income side, there's, you know, rubs, ratio, utility, billing services. Um, you know, there's other income, whether it's pet fees, um, whether it's, you know, trash. I mean, there's valet trash services out there, you know, for some of these larger assets that may make sense. And in, in particular, you know, if you're looking at a B, it's certainly an A class deal, you know, trash valet is, is certainly a value add for the residents as well as, you know, for for ownership. And so there's a spread there. Uh, that may be appropriate. Also, you know, adding cable or internet, uh, or other sort of smart technology that there may be a spread available for the owner and value for the residents. You know, those are things that you can creatively look in an asset and say, how can we increase our revenue? And so we look at, so I'll just kind of recap there. It's, you know, it's about, you know, what's the, what's the collected income per unit? And does that match the market? And if it matches the current market, the way that the asset is positioned now, that's great. But if we were to raise the, the quality of the asset or the quality of the units, is there any spread there? So that's when we talk about, you know, investing called 7,500 bucks, you know, per unit, you know, we're looking to increase the revenue on a, you know, 12 month basis by 20%, you know, where it is right now. And so I think that's a, it's a, it's a pretty rule of thumb sort of approach that we take in terms of investing per unit. So that's a good way for us to add value on the revenue perspective. You know, other things are bad debt. I mean, how many units are not performing that, you know, no longer, you know, are collectible. Um, So I think it's being thoughtful and being rigorous in your screening process. You know, that's, that's one of those things that doesn't show up for a little bit, but it comes down to being, you know, responsible and in, in every sort of direction from a property management standpoint uh also on the um, really kind of on the expense perspective it's all about you know what's what's industry sort of norm on your you know call it your insurance expenses your property management fees your salaries um your payroll your bonuses your bonus structure for the personnel who are operating the assets so there's many different ways that we can look at the expenses and say all right this is this is reasonable or this is a bit out of line and, you know, we can go in here and, you know, I think it it is important for us, like as investors to all say, all right, we're not just going to just cut expenses just to cut expenses because there's times where you can cut expenses and it can become more expensive for you. So I think it's important to be extremely thoughtful in terms of how you're projecting sort of, you know, uh, your, your value add program. So, you know, it's like, all right, well, we have, you know, we have two, folks in the leasing office and we have two folks in the maintenance shed and yeah we would totally reduce our expenses by 40,000 a year if we were to take one of our maintenance folks out of the mix here but what happens in terms of your repairs and maintenance budget then you know who what other third parties are you going to have to bring in at that point so I think being extremely thoughtful on that in terms of you know what can this asset really afford and what is a good investment versus what is a non-useful investment so um, there's many different ways we can look at it. And also, when we make investments in the asset from a capital expenditure perspective, you know typically we can offset you know repairs and maintenance, and, and that obviously helps your net operating income and your value of the asset. Um, but it also all of these things increase cash flow, which at the end of the day, we're not speculators, we're not gamblers. We're not hoping and wishing and praying that the value of our asset grows in the future. We're controlling the controllables we're forcing appreciation which is really more the cherry on top than anything what we're doing is we're going in here and we're increasing cash flow so that everybody can win from that perspective so you can you know you can enjoy the tax benefits of real estate you can also enjoy the inflation protection benefits of real estate um, and all of those different things that we all love about it um, and you know if we get appreciation at the end of the day then that's awesome that's also great too but we're not hoping and praying and wishing for that but That's sort of our, in general, our approach to add value to, to these deals.
0: That's awesome, man. I really appreciate that value. And then for the purposes of time, I think what we'll go ahead and do is just open it up to questions, just to allow a a few people to provide some insights if need be. Uh, I actually have a a question from Facebook for Jonathan uh, Farber. Hey John, how's it going? Um, how does it typically, how long does it typically take you to qualify an OM to know if you want to travel to it or submit an LOI?
1: I think it depends on our 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 kind of load, our workload. Because um, typically, if we let's just say all things are equal and we've got you know availability to kind of digest something, um, you know, two days, um, just kind of going through you know a couple hour process with our internal analysis team and and really getting a feel for the you know in general the asset. Um, it, and the other thing, too, is we never try to rush this, um, but, you know, some deals are marketed and they've got a call for offers process and there's a there's a whole time, fri- time frame that you've got to get ahead of. So depending on that, you know, that also probably moves us quicker at, at some point. But, um, you know, in general, I'd say, you know, a couple of days we're, we're in good shape to, to really have an understanding of what the deal is and what does it look like and all that kind of stuff.
0: Definitely. And I'm sure you have, you've built systems to be able to maximize your efficiency when analyzing these deals as well, so...
1: Actually, that's a good point. So I'll, I'll, I'll plug them. Um, we use a company called Red IQ. Um, and really kind of, this actually makes us super efficient on underwriting. Um, what they do is we can plug in, a we can get a rent roll. If we get a 300 unit property and you have a rent roll and you got to plug it in manually, that's going to take you know an hour or two itself at least. Um, we have a, a system called Red IQ that allows us to plug that information as well as the T12 directly into our model and we can kind of hit the ground running. So that saves us time and that saves us mental bandwidth, of course. Uh, and so from there, you know, we have an opportunity to really leverage our time much better. And so obviously there's an investment involved in that type of system, but that helps a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, once, when you start analyzing a ton of deals, the, the, the value you get from it is probably astronomical. So yeah. that's awesome. So I, I guess anyone in the, in the chat have any other questions they'd like to ask Tyler as far as uh, syndication process is concerned or really anything else. I mean, I know he's involved in coaching and various other things. So if you have any questions related to that, definitely feel free to ask.
1: Yeah, and I can, and while we're waiting for that, I can just talk about, um, you know, being a passive investor myself as well. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is important is that when you're you're evaluating opportunities to invest with other people. It's, you know, number one, do they know what they're doing, right? Do they have an experience, you know, in the business, you know, are they competent? Do they have a team that they've put together and are they offering, you know, comparable returns to other opportunities? You've always got to consider your opportunity costs, right? And beyond that, it's about, do you trust them? Do you, do they care about you? Are they just going to take your money and and be a Bernie Madoff and, you know, go, you know, run some Ponzi scheme, you know, so I think it's important for people to really invest with people that they trust that they like. Um, And the thing about syndicating deals is that we're fiduciaries. So we've got to, you know, we've got to have the best interest in our investors at heart. And so I think it's important to just, you know, work with people who are trustworthy and people that, you know, do things above board and, you know i think people who want to work with you on a long term basis is a good sort of rule of thumb to kind of get to that point but i think that's a, an interesting thing that that i learned and i think the the great thing about our business is that most people are doing the right thing i mean most people i mean it's a very low percentage of people who are taking advantage of people out there so that's a great opportunity for you to just get to know more people out there and you know it's one of my philosophies is that you know we're we're better together, and that's one of the greatest thing about this business is that you know bringing resources together, you know allows us to achieve greater things. So I just wanted to I'll plug that while we're waiting on it, if there's any other questions or anything.
0: No, for sure, and I mean track records is also something, and and that's another thing since it's such a small community. And I mean I'm not involved in the syndication community at all, but I'm I'm assuming it's a pretty small community, so word, word travels fast too if you're yeah if you're active. Enough, so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, world travels fast and uh, reputation, you know, it takes 20 years to build, 20 seconds to uh, destroy. So you've always got to show up and do the right thing. But beyond that too, like for us, like one of our philosophy and actually – our our kind of tagline for our company is elevating communities together and it's all about you know raising the bar for you know our team the people we work with people we collaborate with whether investors but also it's 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 improving communities it's improving you know employment opportunities at the assets or even around you know in these cities that we're dealing with uh and then together it's like it's all about us you know it's like this is a team effort and everybody wins when we do that but Um, yeah I don't know I mean another thing is that we always try to expect the unexpected you know like this year I can tell you that I did not expect us to have a pandemic (laughs) I did not expect you know the level of uncertainty that we're all kind of dealing with this year but I think that's going to be the key to really succeeding in the long term is just expecting that you know there's going to be things that totally blindside us and what can we do to be prepared, not only from a personal and emotional standpoint to just say, all right, let's be resilient. Let's be persistent. And this is asking us, you know, how committed are you? And you know, what are you willing to do to show up and be resourceful? And I think if you're willing to be nimble and pivot where necessary, that'll set you up for long-term success. So that's what we try to do.
0: Awesome. So we do have one question on Facebook that I thought I'd ask, which is, How do you source deals of 100 plus units? That's that's a pretty good uh, question.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's funny because a lot of folks will, you know, they'll you kind of a lot of folks will get started in investing in single family homes, and then they'll try to kind of graduate to the next step. And and obviously that's a great trajectory for many people. And the thing that's interesting about it is that as you source you know single family deals you know it's a lot different than sourcing these type of multifamily deals and even even on the smaller size range but you know especially 100 to 300 units um, you know one of the things that's been great for Brian and I is having a brokerage background we really know how this the space works and you know really it is controlled by brokers and it is about those points of leverage in a, you know, sphere of influence of the top brokers. And, you know, it's all about the Pareto's principle, you know, the top 20% of brokers in you know, in these markets are doing 80% or more of the business. And so we're always, you know, looking to build and strengthen those relationships and, and show those folks that we're, you know, not only people that we think that they would enjoy working with, but we execute on our, our promises and we close deals. And so, that's super important is to build that reputation so you know we we focus on on those relationships and a lot of those those deals are either on or off market deals and we've seen a lot more on market deals recently uh we've also seen off market deals and it is about staying top of mind it's about calling brokers it's about you know getting on their distribution list but it's also about you know getting in market and even during a pandemic it's you know it's maybe it's fist bumping or whatever but we're spending time with these folks and we're looking them in the eyes and we're reminding them, Hey, here's what our acquisition criteria is. And so, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. It's also building a credibility with, with sellers as well, because the brokers are the advisors for the sellers. And so we've got to sell ourselves to the brokers who sell ourselves, who sell us to, to their clients as well. So it's a bit of a multifaceted approach, but that's kind of in general, the, the strategy on bringing more deal flow but it it does help to, if you can build a team of folks who can kind of help you with this, because it's a, it's a very hands-on process. You can't just click a few buttons and they're going to start sending you deals. You've got to really, you know, prospect and follow-up and build, you know, relationships and build a database. So that's, that's what I would suggest. Definitely.
0: For sure. So cool. So as far as the chat box is concerned we don't have any yet but i'll I'll give it another minute or so on facebook there's a few there's a we have about five or so people watching on facebook as well so give it about a minute do you have anything else you'd like to share as far as uh syndication process is concerned
1: um you know i don't think i do i think it's it's good for folks to just learn i mean here's what i'll say you know a lot of folks who are you know, they, they know about real estate and they wanna grow their real estate business. You know, in my opinion, you should absolutely be, you know, growing your knowledge. You should be educating yourself on a daily basis. So if you're watching this, hopefully you got some value and I'd, I'd be grateful if you sent me a quick note and said, hey, I really appreciated that and just let me know. And uh, if not, then I'll hopefully, I'll, I'll be better next time. But I think what I would say is that, you know, the most important investment you can make is in yourself. And you should always be willing to, you know, update your knowledge and, you know, read a new book or listen to a new podcast or have a new conversation and continue to make mistakes. So go out there and take action. I think it's super important for people to not only educate yourself, but educate yourself for effective action. So what can you do to, you know, distill down maybe your top two or three distinctions from our discussion today and make a quick note of that and say, what can, what can I do over the next 30 days? to put this in action because, you know, knowledge to my, in my opinion is only potential power. It is not power. And I I think that's one of the biggest, you know, mistakes and the biggest sort of uh, discrepancies between what was previous conventional wisdom. You know, knowledge is only potential power, the real power is in taking action. So what I would say is what can you do to put together a 30 day action challenge today? So if you're, if you wanna be more of a passive investor, you know, over the next 30 days, you need to build your database of, you know, other people who are syndicating deals, or if you want to syndicate deals yourself, you need to take 30 days to really kind of hone in on one of these top three key distinctions and really go deep on that and, and expand that. So, you know, there's many things that we talked about today and there's many ways for you to put together your own action challenge, but at the end of the day, it's all about your own responsibility. So invest in your education, but also take action and look you're gonna make mistakes. I mean, we make mistakes every day. I mean, I guarantee you, I've made multiple mistakes already today. So take that feedback and be willing to get up. The only time you fail is when you quit. And so um, that's what I would say to, uh, to all the listeners.
0: Definitely, thank you so much for that. And, and as far as like keeping in contact with you, how, how, how can the audience just learn more about what you're doing and just keep in contact with you? I know you got the podcast and everything else. You kind of want to elaborate a little bit on that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, of course, you can check out Elevate if you enjoy the conversation today. Um, we do a lot of this and it's a, it's a lot of fun. And um, so you can check that out. It's on any any podcast platform. That's an easy place to really get to know me a little bit better. Um, to learn more about what we're doing with CF Capital, uh, you can go to cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. We try to get cfcapital.com. The guy wouldn't sell us the uh, URL and it's it's not being used. So if the guy's watching, maybe uh, reach out and we'll buy it from you. But uh, cfcapllc.com. And you can actually sign up for our you know investor club. We call it an investor club because it's, it's a club. I mean, it's all about bouncing ideas off each other. It's sharing opportunities. So you can actually go to our website and it's really simple to to get in touch. And actually you will get an automatic email when you sign up there with a link to schedule a time to speak with me directly. And we can talk more about what your goals are. What are you looking to accomplish? And if it's a fit for us to, you know, to share opportunities with you, uh, beyond that, you know, you can visit coachwithtyler.com. Um, talking a lot more about sort of high performance coaching for real estate investors, Um, So those are just a couple of opportunities, but I'm always open to connect with people on on social media. I'm all all over that as well. So I'd love to love to meet with everybody.
0: Definitely. Well, thanks again, Tyler, for coming by. I know you provide a ton of value. And like I said, I mean, this this will be recorded. So it's going to be a phenomenal opportunity for more people in the future to be able to glean some information from here. So thanks again for your time. And I guess we'll see you all next week.
1: Thank you, my brother. Appreciate it. It was a great time.
0: See you guys. Bye.